frame, we'll get started. That's having some trouble here, so. I hope you have your Bible. <laughs> uh, Matthew 5, uh, verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of the heavens. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, and, uh, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned again? It's, it's then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. You see, a city that's set on a hill can't be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Don't think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I, I didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, Till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law, till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, which means empty-headed, shall be in danger of the council, the Sanhedrin. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire, Gehenna's fire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, the judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means pass uh, get out of there till you have paid the last penny. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. See, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It's, it's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, for it's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Furthermore, it's been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual morality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Again, you've heard... Uh, that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor uh, by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you can't make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no no, 
For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. Whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you and from him who wants to borrow from you. Do not turn away. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Let's pray again. (laughs) Father, would you make us more like you are? in who we are in our character and how we think and then of course the overflow of all of that what we say what we do how we use our hands and our feet Lord may, may be reflective how we use our, our words and our thoughts may all of those things be reflective of your good character of your of your goodness, God. Lord, would you lead us in your way, I pray. Would you be gracious to us in our failure, (laughs) and merciful, Lord, in our failure. Would you help us to look to others and to be merciful and gracious with them as well, just as you are with us. I pray, Lord, that you'd conform our hearts to the way of your kingdom. Lord, would you do it by your Spirit? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Okay. Okay, look with me at verse 33. So the reality uh, of uh, the society that we live in, for (laughs) real, it's cold right here, right? Uh, so, um, we're talking about oaths right now, right? But, uh, using the word oaths might be a little bit, um, I don't know. We don't really use oaths very much anymore, right? It's not really like a common word for us to say. Sometimes we'll say, we'll talk about somebody swearing something. That still is a little bit not, not, not in real common usage anymore. But, uh, we do say um, we do um, make promises, and we do uh, sign contracts that are essentially vows or promises. They are oaths. We are taking an oath when we do those things. We are swearing something, right? So, so when you think about it in those terms, you recognize that much of our lives actually is comprised of, and in our society is actually comprised of oath taking, right? Uh, the before somebody serves in. Um, office, they're usually sworn in, right? In a particular office that they're elected for, they have to take an oath, right? They have to promise something to the people that elected them, hopefully. Um, not that they keep those promises, but they do, they are supposed to, right? That's the idea there, is that what they are promising, they are supposed to do. So it's a normal part of society. It's very, very prevalent. We take oaths all the time, like when we buy a car, right? When we purchase a house, right? We are promising the bank that we're going to repay this in X number of installments over, you know, X amount of time with, you know, whatever the amount is that we're going to pay and and how frequently and all of that stuff. So we do this, right? We swear things. We make oaths. And not only in that sense, but we also... Uh, in in like a uh, maybe a less um, political and less uh, maybe we would think of as less official sense 
uh, we also make promises all the time. Um, when we're talking to our spouses, uh, when we are talking to our kids sometimes, right? And we tell our kids we're going to do something, and, uh, and then, like, there's a delay between when we say we're going to do it and then when, when we are actually maybe going to actually do that thing, and they're like, you said you were going to do this, you know? And so we find ourselves saying, I promise we will do this, you know? <laughs> because our, our children don't believe us, <laughs> uh, which is, of course, the whole problem with us. And that's what Jesus, Jesus addresses here. See, the reason why we make vows is because humans are notoriously unfaithful to our word. We don't do the things that we say we're going to do. And because of that, we are required to swear oaths to banks. <laughs> We're required to swear. And, and that is, of course, backed by collateral, right? I swear that I'll do this on my house, right? I'll swear, I swear that I'll repay this thing on my house, right? And so our house becomes the collateral, sometimes for itself, right? <laughs> we don't pay our, our mortgage. They come and take our house from us, right? So we swear on things in that sense, right? Uh, the same like with vehicles, right? I swear on this vehicle that I'll repay or I'll pay off the amount. And if we don't, they will repossess the vehicle. And of course, that's uh, typically only as good as the value of the vehicle at the time, because if you're upside down your loan, they're still going to try and come at you for what's left, <laughs> right? They'll auction your car off and take what they can. And then, and then they'll come at you for what's left of, of the loan that you owe the, the bank, because you swore an oath, you promised, right? You made a promise. Um, this is why, it's for this reason that I was considering talking about oaths when we talked about uh, adultery and divorce. But those conversations, while they deal with marriage, uh, they weren't really, we didn't really, it wasn't really like a marriage teaching so much as a, um, maybe hopefully a safeguard for marriages uh, that, we, that we sort of discussed, how we can protect our marriages um, um, and how we can pursue Jesus in holiness and, and purity. Um, in our marriages. So um, I decided to separate this section here, beginning in verse 33, with oaths. So let's look at it again really quickly. Jesus begins and he says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. <clears throat> this was the common idea. Uh, and maybe we can take this as... Um, the um, very simple idea of not taking the name of the Lord in vain, right? Um, there are lots of ways that people interpret what that means. I grew up in a culture that said that um, you can't say G's because it's short for Jesus, and that's taking the name of the Lord in vain, and very, very, had very rigid rules about what that looked like and what that didn't look like, you know. All the while, uh, all the while, frequently, Many of those rigid rule systems neglect the heart issue of keeping your word, <laughs> which is what Jesus is dealing with here, of being a faithful person. Am I the kind of person that if I say I'm going to do something, people know that I'm going to do it, or am I not? Do I have to make promises to my spouse or to my children because they simply don't believe me? They just don't trust me. Is that where we find ourselves? I, I think that um, maybe if we're honest, that's probably true. We have found ourselves in that place before. So the idea that Jesus brings up is that they have been taught, uh, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. Now in another place, Jesus is addressing a teaching that the religious leaders of Israel had. It was called a korban. And what they did was they uh, went around their house and they essentially, they could dedicate anything they wanted to the Lord, right? But it was a pretty cool deal. It was pretty sweet because you could dedicate anything you wanted in your house to God, but you got to still keep it and retain use of it, right? So like it was dedicated to God, but it was like still in your crib, you know, it was like still in your house. So it was fine for you to keep it. Now, what they did, the, one of the reasons why they did this, and this is why Jesus addressed it, was that instead of taking care of like their aging parents, maybe who were uh, widowed, 
instead of providing for them by taking their stuff in their house and selling it so they could have some resources to help take care of their family. Maybe it wasn't just widows, but that's the particular instance that Jesus very directly addresses. Instead of taking care of their families, they would look at all their stuff in their house and they'd say, oh, I'd love to help take care of you, but this is Korban. This is dedicated to God. So sorry. And of course, that just meant that like, I'm not going to sell it. I still get to use it. It's in my place. I still get to keep it, whatever. But I've dedicated this to God. Right? This belongs to God now. So uh, it was a way that they, through tradition, they made the word of God of no effect. And that's what Jesus then addresses with them. Because it was their responsibility to help take care of their families. That was something that God wanted them to do and indeed wants us to do. Um, but their way out of it was to say, oh, well, that, that thing is dedicated. It's, it belongs to the Lord. Sorry, sorry, I can't, I can't sell that and help provide for you because I've already dedicated this to the Lord. Like, but it's still sitting in your house <laughs> and you still use it every day. <laughs> well, yeah, but like, I've, I, it's Korban. I dedicated it, <laughs> you know. So uh, they made the word of God of no effect by, um, by that tradition of theirs, by, quote-unquote, dedicating things to God. Uh, there was another issue where people would say, if you swear by one thing, it's not that big a deal. But if you swear by another thing, then, it, then you better keep your word, right? So like you could pretend to promise something. And this is something that um, some of the religious leaders in Israel did, among other people, because this was a teaching they had. You could swear by some lesser thing, but like maybe the sacrifice on the altar. But if you swear by the altar, that means you're really going to do it. But if you swear by like the sacrifice on the altar, then like you don't really have to do that. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like essentially what it amounts to is word games. Man, we like to play word games, don't we? <laughs> we like to say things that are non-committal but sound like their commitments and then when we go back on them and change our mind and or do whatever or just we don't make it a, a priority to do the thing that we suggested we would do we um, say it's fine because like I didn't really say I was going to do it I mean I said that I might do it, but I didn't really say that I was going to do it, you know. Um, we play word games a lot. <laughs> this whole idea reminds me of the importance of, um, like, uh, when um, James says that we ought to be um, swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath. I'm learning that if I am slower in my responses to people. If I think through what I'm saying more before I say, before I speak, I might um, find myself making uh, fewer commitments that I then have to change my mind about later. I might find myself being a man who keeps his word more often. So the, the idea that they had been taught was you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. Now, keep in mind, that's not a bad thing, right? If you swear something to the Lord, you swear to God that you're going to do something, right? Makes sense that you would do that. But what Jesus addresses is a deeper issue. Why do you have to even swear at all? Why? Why do you have to make a promise at all? Why can't you just say, yes, I'm going to do that? And people know that because you've said yes, you're going to do it. Jesus' response addresses that when he, he looks at that teaching. He says, but I say to you, in verse 34, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool. That's where he puts his feet up. <laughs> it's on the earth. I love the imagery. This is um, this is common Im imagery throughout the scriptures to show us the greatness, the bigness of God. Right? 
my kids are like, is God like a giant, you know? And they're picturing like a 10 foot tall person. I'm like, no, dude, he's bigger. <laughs> it's, it's in him we live and move and have our being, you know? Like, he's, he's always everywhere. He's a spirit, you know? So, <laughs> um, it's hard to, you know, break ourselves away from some of that um, visibleness, you know? Trying to only view God as something that we can see. And, um, the uh, way that God is illustrated in the scriptures shows us his greatness. Uh, Neither by heaven, for it's his throne, like he sits in the heavens, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, that's his stool where he puts his feet up, is the earth. And um, neither, um, nor by Jerusalem, he says, for it is the city of the great king, right? that central part of Israel, the central city of Israel. Uh, Jerusalem. We get to the end of the New Testament. We find a new heaven and new earth, and we find a new city of Jerusalem descending out of heaven. This incredible uh, imagery that John is seeing and that he's describing for us that is like this cubic thing. It's pretty wild <laughs> with these, uh, you know, 12 uh, gates of pearls. And, anyways, it's a fascinating thing. So maybe we'll get there one day. <laughs> we'll talk about it more. Uh, <laughs> Not at this rate. <laughs> right. um, <laughs> nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you can't make one hair white or black. Well, yes, I can. I can just dye my hair. <laughs> yeah, but fine, right? But in a natural sense, right? You don't have control over the color of your hair, right? Like your hair is the color that it is. And it grows the color that it grows. And some of us are turning gray sooner than we expect it to turn gray uh, or white or whatever. You know, um, he's saying it's swearing even by your own head is, is ineffectual anyways. You can't change anything. Here's his response. He's saying don't swear at all. So here's, here's a thought then. If we make all of these oaths, right? Like we swear in judges. We swear when you go before the court, you're supposed to be sworn in. You know, um, I have a deposition next month. I have to be sworn in for my deposition. You know, um, uh, <clears throat> we make promises. We, we swear. We make covenants or contracts with car dealerships or banks, rather, uh, to repay loans for mortgages and for cars and all of that. Uh huh. <laughs> uh, there's some people that um, tell us that we shouldn't do any of that stuff. There are warnings in the book of Proverbs about debt and about the consequences of debt and indebtedness, you know, sobering stuff. I find myself saying, I wouldn't have a car, <laughs> right? I wouldn't, I wouldn't have a house, <laughs> you know? <clears throat> uh, I don't propose to give you an answer for what you should do about those things. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to bring it up <laughs> and say that uh, you get to follow Jesus and you get to pursue him. Um, Jesus gets to the main heart of what he's dealing with, though. What is the heart? It's, oh, by the way, it's like the, you know, one of the guys running for president now is like, we're going to have free college. We want to pay off everybody's college debt. You know, like, but like you made a promise, right? <laughs> like, I mean, I, I, it's a very complicated, uh, convoluted uh, issue as well as many others, but, um, Anyhow, then it's like, why, why did you have to do that? Why did you choose to do that? What about predatory lending? What about, you know, being a kid and making that kind of choice and that indebtedness and not knowing if you get a job? And I mean, there's so many, so many things related to all of that. But Jesus gets to the heart of us being faithful people, of us being honest, which is what this is about about us being honest people. When he says in verse 37, let your yes be yes. I love how <laughs> there's like all of these like questions, right? And Jesus is just like, it really is very simple what I want for you. 
I just want you to be honest. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Ooh, interesting mention there. <laughs> from the evil one. From the accuser. From the one who deceives from the devil. The evil one is some one that he would reference in the next chapter when we talk about the Lord's prayer. It's really more probably the disciples' prayer. It's like, he was like, this is how you should pray as an example. <clears throat> so I get down to the heart of the issue and I say, why do I make promises? Why do I, at times when I talk to my kids or when I talk to my wife, why do I feel like I have to say, I promise I'll do whatever it is? Why? Very simply put, it is because in the past, I have said I would do things, and I did not do them. And she or they just don't believe me. <laughs> they just don't believe me. It's like the, the boy who cried wolf, right? <laughs> you just say, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this, so many times, and you don't keep your word. And so then you have to swear. I swear. I, I promise I'll do this. I promise I won't do that anymore. Whatever the situation might be. Right? Jesus says, let your yes be yes. And your no, no. The Lord wants us to be, he wants us to be faithful people. Bless you, bless you, bless you. <laughs> <laughs> The Lord wants us to be people who are honest and people who keep our word. How then do we deal with, like, when situations change or maybe when I just don't feel like doing something anymore that I promised to do or that I said I was going to do? It's easy for me to text somebody and say, ah, something came up. <laughs> you know? <laughs> It's easy uh, for us to do that or to make a phone call or to send an email and, and whatever. <clears throat> I want, uh, would you look with me at Psalm 15? We're going to talk, uh, I'm going to give you a couple of maybe illustrations of this uh, stuff here. Psalm 15. I mentioned last week, and I didn't. Uh, we didn't read it necessarily, and we won't read it right now. But it's something that you can look up later. But in the Law of Moses and the Torah, there were places where, um, because they were to keep their oaths, um, any man who made an oath was always required to keep whatever his oath was. And now traditions had been set up after that that kind of made a way for you to make promises that you didn't have to keep because you could swear by something else other than some important thing, you know, whatever. So you could make that promise, but you didn't have to keep it, right? Um, but any man who made a promise, the Torah says, any man who makes a promise has to keep it. But there was this caveat in the law that said that a, a wife or a virgin daughter, a daughter who is not yet married is the idea, if they made an oath or if they promised something, if they made a vow, their vow could actually be broken by their either their husband or by their, they could be, taken out of that promise, right? Or if they made a promise about something, they didn't have to keep it if their husband disagreed with it. Or if they're, um, uh, again, in the case of a, a daughter who's not yet married, if she did not, or if, if her father did not agree with whatever the vow or the promise was that she made, uh, she wouldn't have to keep it. Now, that might sound chauvinistic. It might sound like the patriarchy is trying to rule everything again. Um, but... Um, the reality is, uh, it was a, a way that God was showing tenderness to women, that God was showing uh, that that He was willing to, um, while men had to keep every promise they made, even if it was foolish, even if it was stupid, even if it was dumb, you had to keep every vow that you made um, for the women in their lives. Um, God made a way, he allowed a way for 
those women to be protected from seemingly stupid uh, vows that they made, right? If you made a, a dumb promise or a, a, a stupid vow or whatever, and you shouldn't have said that, then your husband could step in and say, listen, I didn't agree to this. She doesn't have to do it. And no law was broken. It didn't violate the Torah. Um, and the same with, a, again, with a, a daughter who's not yet married, with a virgin daughter. If she made a promise or a vow and her father then heard about it and he was like, no, I don't, no, no, you're not doing that. You know. And this was not, this was not about patriarchy. It was not about ruling over people as much as it was about um, protecting, being protectors. Um, now, um, Psalm 15, if you've uh, grabbed that, I think uh, David writes something very interesting here in Psalm 15 that I wanted us to, um, to look at. Um, before we get to Psalm 15, though, I do want to read something from Hebrews 6. I want you to keep your finger in Psalm 15, though. Why does God want us to be people of our word? The simple answer is that he is a people of his word. <laughs> he, he keeps his word. God always does what he says he will do. Without fail. Hebrews 6 says in verse 13... For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Abraham obtained the promise that God gave him. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute, right? We swear by something greater than us, and when we make an oath, it's the end of dispute. That means that guy's going to do it, right? Because he swore. That's the idea there. Verse 17 of Hebrews 6 says, Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability, immutability is unchangingness. Immutable means does not change. Um, to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, he confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things or two unchanging things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. I like that word refuge. <laughs> this hope we have rooted in these two immutable things, the oath of God and the fact that he cannot lie. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul. Something that sometimes people get tattooed. They get like an anchor and they get like, <laughs> this hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil that's from the holy place in the temple into the most holy place where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, something he deals with a lot more uh, throughout the, the book of Hebrews. But the point here that I wanted to bring up was this promise that God made, this oath that God made to Abraham is rooted in this fact that it is impossible for God to lie. Sometimes we say, everything is possible with God. Yes, but no. <laughs> It is impossible for God to lie. You say, well, how, how is that? I thought God could do anything. <laughs> God does anything and everything in accordance with his character, with who he is. Because he doesn't change and because he is a particular way. He is light and life and love. He cannot be anything other than that, than what he is. He can't lie. It is impossible for God to lie. So in this um, sanctification process of you and I 
following in the way of the kingdom of God, what we find is that we are being moved toward him and reflecting his character, which is one where we do not lie. Well, I mean, I don't tell lies. Uh huh. If you say you're going to do something and you don't do it, you lied. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, because anything else is of the evil one, he said. This is why being slow to speak is really help, helpful. <laughs> because sometimes we find ourselves making commitments to too many people and too many things and we can't keep all of them. And so we have to violate our promise or our word to someone else in order to keep our word to another person. And all the while, we set ourselves up with a reputation of unfaithfulness as someone who doesn't keep their word. I know this is true. I've seen this uh, reality in my own life. In as simple a thing as telling somebody that I would do something as simple as sending an email and then not doing it. <laughs> well, I forgot. Uh-huh. I didn't keep my word. So the next time I tell that person I'm going to send them an email, they're going to say, you really going to send me an email this time? <laughs> and they're not wrong. Their distrust is warranted because I have violated their trust by not keeping my word. It's something that we do easily with our spouses, we do easily with our children. But we serve a king, a God who doesn't change. One who cannot tell a lie. That would be contrary to his character, to his nature. So Psalm 15 says this, this psalmist, David is writing this particular psalm traditionally. Psalm 15 says, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? That was the tent where God was, the tent where they met with God before the temple was built. Who may dwell in your holy hill? Here's who, David says. He who walks uprightly and works righteousness, and speaks the truth in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He who swears to his own hurt, and does not change. He who does not put out his money at usury, um, nor does he take a bribe. That means to charge interest. <laughs> Who gives their money out charging interest for using it. Nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Look up with me at verse 4. In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. When you say that, you'll do something, but you find it difficult to keep that promise, that word that you gave, because circumstances change, because um, life is hard. <clears throat> we find it difficult because it means that we have to give more of our energy sometimes to keep our word. Sometimes it means we have to give more of our money. Sometimes it means we have to spend more of ourselves. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change, David writes, that's who uh, may abide, who may remain in your tabernacle who may dwell in your holy hill, this idea of being in the presence of God, not being separated from the, the, um, the fellowship of God. There's an example of this, by the way. A guy named Jephthah. Look with me at Judges 11. This is where we're going to finish up. Well, I may give you a couple more verses for you to 
um, chew on later, but Judges 11. <clears throat> so, um, the chapter here, Judges 11, begins um, with this Gileadite named Jephthah. Um, verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 1 says, Jephthah, was, uh, Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, and he was the son, uh, but he was the son of a prostitute, of a harlot. And um, Gilead begot Jephthah. So he was Gilead's son. Now, it says, Then Gilead's wife bore sons, and when his son, or his wife's sons grew, uh, they drove Jephthah out. And they said to him, You shall have no inheritance in your father's house, for you are the son of another woman. So that's pretty cool upbringing, right? You, <laughs> you, your dad sleeps with a prostitute, with a harlot, and then you're born from the prostitute. But your dad's wife ends up having all these other kids, and then when they grow up, they're like, "Get out of our land! You are you are not. We we reject you essentially. Get out of here!" Right? So that's our dude Jephthah, who becomes a judge, one of the men that God uses to liberate uh, the people of Israel. That's what's happening numerous times throughout the Book of Judges. It happens over and over and over and over again. Now jump with me here to verse uh, twenty-nine really quickly. So um, there's a group of people that uh, begin to frustrate the Gileadites, the uh, and they are um, <clears throat> they are the uh, Ammonites, and um, the Gileadites now Jephthah's siblings now they come back to him and they're like, listen, bro, you're a mighty man of valor, and these Ammonites are a pain in our, in our tail. So let's would you please help us? Basically. So now they're like groveling at his feet, kind of, right? So we pick up the story in verse 29. It says this, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and uh, passed through Mitzpah of Gilead, and from Mitzpah of Gilead he advanced toward the people of Ammon. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. That sounds familiar. We've been talking about oaths, vows, promises, right? <clears throat> he made a vow to the Lord, and he said, If you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the people of Ammon shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. So, he makes this promise Lord, if you allow me to have victory in this fight, in this battle against the Ammonites, then whatever the first thing that comes out of my house, belongs to you. It will be a dedicated offering, a burnt offering, completely yours. Burnt offerings were offerings that were completely consumed on the altar. You didn't share with the priests those uh, sacrifices. They were completely consumed on the altar. They were wholly dedicated to God. That's the idea of a burnt offering. So, verse 32 says, Jephthah advanced toward the people of Ammon to fight against them. And the Lord delivered them into his hands, and he defeated them from Aror as far as Mineth, twenty cities, and to Abel Kiramim, with a very great slaughter. Thus the people of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. When Jephthah came to his house at Mizpah, there was his daughter coming out to meet him with timbrels and dancing. And she was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass, when he saw her, that he tore his clothes. And he said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. You are among those who trouble me, for I have given my word to the Lord, and I cannot go back on it. So she said to him, my father, if you have given your word to Jehovah, if you have given your word to the Lord, do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth. Because the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the people of Ammon. Then she said to her father, let this thing be done for me. Let me alone for two months that I may go and wander on the mountains and bewail my virginity, my friends and I. We have this two month long party. I'm not sure it's much of a party. This bewailing party. So he said, Go. And he sent her away for two months, and she went with her friends and bewailed her virginity on the mountains. 
And it was so at the end of two months that she returned to her father, and he carried out his vow with her which he had vowed. She knew no man. And it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went four days each year to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite. This story is clear, right? This guy, Jephthah, makes a promise. God, if you give him, if you give me victory against the Ammonites, whatever comes out of my house. And no doubt, he expected one of his animals to come out of his house. You know, we're talking about probably earthen-type buildings, maybe doors, maybe not doors, animals all around in this agrarian society. He probably expected one of his, his family animals to come out or whatever whenever he got back home. First one out of his doors was his beloved his only daughter. He had no sons, no other daughters. But he had made a vow to God. And you can tell in his statements, he's like, you've brought me very low. You can, see, you can feel the heavy-heartedness. But you see, what's happening here with Jephthah is exactly the type of, of person that David said is the one who, who dwells in the holy hill who's able to abide in the tabernacle, the one who swears to his own hurt and still does it. You see, Jesus says that we shouldn't even have to be people who make promises, who swear. We should be faithful to keep our word. How faithful should we be? (laughs) This is the kind of faithfulness that our God shows us. You see, because this is what He does with us. He keeps His promises to us. He does everything that He says He'll do. He never goes back on His word. Some have argued about whether or not Jephthah killed his daughter. Uh, I think that's definitely not the case. <laughs> we see them referencing over and over and over again this idea of bewailing her virginity. It seems to be that that she was uh, possibly sent away. Either way, she remained a virgin her whole life, and this means that Jephthah's house ended. His family lineage ended with him and his daughter. There would be no more in his house. No one to take his family's inheritance. It would then roll back to, to his father's family. <clears throat> you and I may not see that as a weighty thing, but it was a big deal. This is, this is his family, this is his line ending because of this promise that he made and his willingness to keep his vow. That's why, again, right at the end there, it says he carried out his vow with, with her, which he had vowed she knew no man. Right? I think that's what the idea was. She was wholly, completely dedicated to God, like, like the burnt offering was. She became the Lord's. That uh, seems to be what is happening there with Jephthah and his promise. Uh, there's no place in the scriptures where child sacrifice is ever... Um, seen as a good thing, um, as a beneficial thing. In fact, God speaks against it over and over and over and over again because that was a common way that some of the um, foreign gods were worshipped was, was through child sacrifice. <clears throat> so, uh, even in the story of Abraham offering Isaac, we find God, boom, stopping him with the angel and saying, there's a ram here caught in the thicket. You offer this instead. What I find at the, I guess the meat of what Jesus is saying here is the heartbreaking reality that I am more unfaithful to my word than I want to be. Sometimes I speak well-meaning things, but I don't back it up with my actions. And the way of the kingdom is, to, is for us to be different. 
is for us to be different than that. Faithful to keep our word so much so that we don't have to make promises. We don't have to swear. We don't have to say, I promise I'll do this, or I swear that I'll do this thing. Jesus said, don't swear at all. Now, I don't really expect the bank to necessarily trust you. <laughs> it's, you can figure that out on your own. <laughs> well, they said they were going to repay the loan. You don't have to sign anything. It's fine. <laughs> we shook hands on it. <laughs> you know, that was like an uh, older thing, right? because the God that we serve always keeps his word and it's important because um, when he says I will never leave you I will never forsake you it's important for me to remember those times that reality when I'm, I'm faced with my own loneliness um, when we're faced with uh, the death of a loved one when we're faced uh, with uh, being in the doctor's office and getting some news that we didn't expect to hear. To know that right then, in those moments, he is with us, and he is the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles. To know that I can rely on him, and as uh, as Moses said in the Torah, that underneath are the everlasting arms. And to know... Uh, his promise for us uh, in um, John 14, especially as we face the reality of our own mortality, that we will not go on living forever. And the time that we have right now in these bodies, it is short. It is, it is eclipsing very quickly. And to know that as Jesus promised, uh, when he said, let not your heart be troubled, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, many houses. If it were not so, I would have told you. See, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, in the way you know. Of course, Thomas then said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is why when I'm groveling in the weight of my own failure and my sin, when I'm feeling the weight of the, the effects of my choices, my disobedience to God, why I can look to the Lord and I can find hope in Him because I can hear Him say through the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31 that He makes a new covenant with us, not like the covenant He made with Israel at Sinai, with Jacob at Sinai, but this new covenant... He makes, he says, your sins and your lawless deeds I will remember no more. I can know that my sin is washed away in the blood of Jesus. The things that I have done wrong. And it doesn't mean that it's, this is the, it's a heartbreaking thing to me that there, there are groups of people who would say that because Jesus died for sins or because God forgives sins that means that you can do whatever you want to do because it's it's our sin that separates us it's our sin that causes death and destruction and problems in the world around us it's it's a rebellion to the one who is light and life and love that results in death and darkness and decay and trouble and problems it makes no sense to go on in those things saying oh that grace might abound it's something that paul references he writes to the romans he's like let's keep on sinning then that grace might abound more it's like god forbid no Absolutely not. Because I feel the weight of those things and I, I hear him say, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I find that he is, our, he is my Sabbath. He is the one who gives me peace. When I read uh, the prophet Isaiah say he will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. This is where the shift has to happen for us where we are trusting in, where we are relying in God and not in ourselves.
where confidence is in who he is and what he's done. So why does Jesus say, don't swear at all? Because God always keeps his word, that's why. And he wants you and I to be people who keep our word. Like I mentioned to you, I might caution you. Um, <laughs> be careful about what you say you'll do. Sometimes we can speak very well-meaning things, but sometimes we can't always back those up. Because of time, because of circumstances, because of other commitments. And I think that God wants us not to be like the boy who cried wolf, right? Saying that we're going to do something, do something, do something, or whatever. Crying wolf, 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 and not, not, nothing being true, and not being a reality. And then, of course, when he really needed help, nobody came. God keeps his word. And the illustration that we have of that, of, of us being people who keep our word, like Jephthah, like David writes in Psalm 15, the person who swears to his own hurt and still does it. And Jephthah with his uh, daughter made a vow to God and he kept his vow as hard as it was for him to do. He kept that vow. Um, Paul writes um, in his letters to the church at Corinth, and he says, Moreover, brothers, it's required of a steward that is like a household servant, and you and I are servants in the household of God. It's required of a steward that one be found faithful. I say, Lord, help me to be the kind of person who does what I say that I'll do. Help me to keep my word to my wife, to my spouse, help me to keep my word um, to my kids, help me to keep my word at work. <laughs> the only thing I can say really about all of those things is, uh, Lord, I need help. <laughs> I need help to do that. I hope that you'll join me in asking the word for help. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you so much for the grace you've given us. Thank you that um, though we have many times failed to keep our word, I'm glad that you have always kept yours. And I'm thankful that you Lord, I'm thankful that you forgive us, Father. Lord, we need your help. It's easy for us to make big promises. But not have the, the gumption to back them up with our actions. And we can just say something came up or we changed our mind or whatever the excuses are that we give. But in the end, all it proves is that we are unfaithful. There are lots of things that we say that we do, that we, that we say that we'll do, that we don't. And you aren't like that. Lord, would you... Would you put a watch, would you, would you put a, a, a bridle on our tongues, on our hearts, Lord? Would you give us wisdom that we would be, um, as we are instructed to be, quick to hear and slow to speak, certainly slow to wrath and anger? Help us to be careful, Lord. Because I want, at the end of the day, I want for my wife to be able to trust me without me having to promise her. I want for my kids to believe me when I tell them something without me having to swear or to promise that it really is going to happen.
Lord, would you make us into faithful people, I pray, please, that we would reflect your kingdom and your word, Lord. Oh, do it for Jesus' sake. Do it for your sake, Father. And when people see us, they would say, man, that is a group of people that, that they do what they say they're doing. Lord, we need your help. <laughs> help us. We pray that you would be our help in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, you guys. Well, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious with you. And the Lord lift up his countenance on you, his smile on you, and give you peace, you guys. You certainly are uh, dismissed.